Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, my name is Terrence, and I have the third best job in the world. I'm not getting paid, but it's, you know what I'm saying. Um, just got to make sure, okay, so for those, like I said, that don't know me, I'm uh, currently going to school for uh, Cary Theological College, and when I went down to the Crows' Pass to do my testimony, the lady that ran the Bible camp down there actually reached out to me after and wanted me to do, uh, be the guest speaker at the Bible camp. So there's going to be five sermons, and I just wanted to preach to you guys my first one. And then uh, feedback's always good. You can criticize as needed. I have thick skin. Don't be shy. Um, but yeah, so hopefully when I get back, I can kind of, maybe Dwayne will let me preach again. I'm not sure. See how this one goes. So as I was doing this uh, research on... Um, my sermon today, um, one thing that came to mind was a shiny penny syndrome. And if you guys don't know what a shiny penny syndrome is, um, let me explain. Um, you see, a new penny is perceived as more valuable and sought out. You see, people overlook the old, tarnished, bent, scratched penny that is left on the ground. So we tend to undervalue things based on appearance, like the old tarnished penny. And as I was growing up, I used to collect these pennies that I found on the ground. I was cheap, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Any penny or dollar I can find, I would, I would pick it up. But pennies w was abundant. Everybody threw them out. And lucky for me, with my newfound fortune, I would gather hundreds of pennies and eventually make a dollar or ten dollars or whatever it may be and my friends would bug me they'd be like you're so cheap that's dirty why are you touching that and i just kind of shrugged and i was like oh, i'm the one who's making the money for free i just got to bend over and pick it up so i would save them for years and i would actively search them out i would climb up a mountain if i had to i would look in ditches i would reach inside of a thorn bush and grab a penny if I had to. I would rescue every penny that was lost that I saw. And you see, what I saw that other people didn't see is I saw the value of each and every one of these coins. It didn't matter what the coin looked like. It didn't matter where the coin was, where it came from. When I looked at each one of these beautiful coins, I saw the uniqueness of every single penny. Every imperfection made it one of a kind. Every coin, good or bad, became price, priceless in my pocket. My pocket was fortified and it was a strong safe to put these priceless little treasures in. It didn't have a hole in it. It wasn't ripped. It was perfect. Sometimes I would put it inside my shoe, which was another safe haven for my newfound treasure. Um, these items <laughs> gathered in my pocket, and it was a safe hold. So, you know who does the same? Do you know who searches stuff out, finds them lost, and then brings them home? 
you might know him. His name is Jesus Christ. Anybody know him? Oh, good, good. I'm in the right space. <laughs> that guy really knows him. <laughs> um, so, do you... Um, oh. So, when Jesus came to earth, he was on a search and rescue mission. Oh. Sorry. Timed out on me. I got to keep pushing. Um, So in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So as we go through the Bible, we see, sweep across the entirety of it. It tells us that we were created to be in community with God and with each other. So the community, community that God wanted was ripped apart by sin, as we all know. Jesus came to this earth to restore what was broken by reconciling us to God and to each other. We are lost apart from God, and Jesus was brought into this world and offered himself to bring us back to God. First Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus' plan was that his people would live out this search and rescue mentality after he was gone. After all, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus was on a mission, he searched and rescued all kinds of people, as I rescued all kinds of coins. The story of Saul's conversion alone gives us comfort that we could possibly be rescued as well. The crowd that he preached to consisted of believers, Gentiles, tax collectors. If you could believe it, he even sat with sinners. The Pharisees and religious teachers complained about Jesus when they, he associated himself and he ate with them. Like, how could he, right? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician. physician. But those who are sick, I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Man, when I read that, this is good news. Because we are all sinners, Right? Every one of us, we're all tarnished, we're bent, scratched, maybe some more than others, but he came to heal our sickness. He came to search us out. It does not matter what we look like or what other people think of us. We are valuable. We are able to be rescued no matter what we've done. We still, or we need to be able to celebrate when people are found. Like, yes, or last week when... Um, we had the baptisms. I still have goosebumps at the fact that two amazing people were found and did their profession in front of all of us. It was absolutely, it was beautiful. And um, it just, I just love seeing that. But we'll head on to Luke and I'm going to talk about three rapid fire stories to drive this point home. These parables are absolutely wonderful. If, you've ever, if you haven't read them, you're going to hear them today. It teaches a powerful lesson, and I'm going to start with the parable of the lost sheep. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law... Uh, law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and one is lost. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Oh, got ahead of myself. So the parable of the lost coin is the next one. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now let's get to the parable of the lost son. Okay, just follow with me in it. I think this is the most important, and I will discuss it later. Jesus continued, there was, a, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said his father, Father, give me my share of the real estate, or estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off a distant, to a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still along the way, or but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For a son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders. Yet you gave me, you've never given me a young goat so you could celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So these three parables, these three amazing counts, they remind us of how God sees us apart from him. Uh, so the first, there's three things I want to talk about. Three amazing points within these parables. The first one is Jesus sees every person is valuable. Every story, there was an item that was proven valuable and was lost. You see, the first one was the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and then you got the lost son. Something extremely valuable went missing in every story. Something so valuable that it could not be replaced. Something so unique that it could never be replicated. So what does this tell us? It tells us how God feels about every person. Think of it this way. You have never laid eyes on someone that did not matter to God. No matter the education, where they were raised, where, their background, where were they from, how good someone is or how bad someone is, how immoral or moral, all people matter to God. So it also tells us that we were lost. We do not like to think that we are lost. Like, we're not physically lost because we know where we are right now. We're sitting in the sanctuary listening to me speak. But as Jesus mentioned, we are spiritually, spiritually lost. While we are valuable in God's eyes, apart from Christ, we are lost. Ephesians 12 2.12 says, Without Christ, every one of us is without hope and without God in the world. That's an all-too-familiar statement. At least for me, it is. I was like that, and I actually know people who continue to be like that, wandering around, not knowing where they are, don't know where they're going, don't know how to get right with God, continue to drift further and further away. See, this is how God sees you and me apart from him. We are priceless, but we are lost. The second point is he sees every person worth and every person is worth rescuing. Another thing that was similar was there was an all-out search to recover this, this item that was lost. The shepherd was searching. The woman started sweeping and moving furniture and the father stood on the porch waiting. Jesus said, while people you know are valuable to me and are distant from me, I'm on a search and rescue mission. You see, this is the heart of God. Jesus said, to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for messed up people like you and me, and he knows very well that we do not speak according to God. We do not act according to God in a lot of ways. We do not think as if we are to act according to God. 
John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When I read that, it made me think of a parable that my son told me. So I'm just going to throw it in here. <laughs> um, it's a parable of a drowning man. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Um, it was the first time for me, and I was mind-blowing. But the storm descended on a small town, and the downpour soon turns into flood. As the waters start rising, the preacher kneels down in prayer on the church porch, surrounded by water. By and by, one of the townsfolks came up to the street in a canoe. Better get in, preacher. The waters are rising fast. No, says the preacher. I have faith in the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Still the waters continue to rise. Now the preacher is up on the balcony. The levee's going to break any minute, and once again, the preacher was unmoved. I shall remain, and the Lord will see me through. After a while, ooh, I missed something. So a motorboat comes and says, come on, preacher, hop in. Once again, the preacher is unmoved, says, I shall remain, and the Lord will see me through. After the levee breaks, the flood rushes over the church, and he starts climbing to the top of the church. He gets to the top of the steeple, and he's clinging onto the cross as the waters start wishing underneath him. And then all of a sudden, a helicopter descends from the clouds, and the state trooper calls down from a microphone, Grab the ladder, preacher. This is your last chance. And once again, the preach preacher insisted the Lord will save him. And predictably, he, he drowns. So he goes up to heaven, and uh, he's standing in front of God, and he starts pleading with God, Lord, I had unwavering faith in you. Why did you not deliver me from this flood? And God shakes his head. What did you want from me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. So even if you don't answer his call, he's always going to search you out. He's always going to rescue you, and he's going to continue to try until you stand before him. So that was kind of the, <laughs> made me laugh. But uh, so the next part is celebrating. When Jesus rescues the lost, sorry, something's going on here. So in every case, Jesus, or in the parable, they started celebrating. The shepherd came back with the lost sheep, draped over his shoulders, and he called his friends up to celebrate. When, he found, when she found her lost coin, the woman called to her friends over, celebrate with me, I have found my lost coin. And then the third one, after the father embraced his son, the servants said, kill the fattened calf and celebrate with us. You see, when anybody comes to faith in Jesus, it's a cause for a celebration. When God sees people far from him, and this is how he wants his people to see other people around him, they want to see him valuable. They want to see him worth being rescued and worthy of celebrating. So as I unpack this, I found out that there's three things, and two things I find very easy. Rescuing is normal. I find that when we talk about rescue, we, talk, we know what rescue is. The cat got rescued from the tree from the fire department. A kid gets rescued from a burning car after an accident. 
POWs get rescued by our army. Like, rescuing is all around us. So that didn't bother me. I understood rescuing. And then I thought about celebrating. And we celebrate everything. We celebrate life. We celebrate death. We celebrate divorce. We celebrate marriage. We ce- maybe not we, but society celebrates. Birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate end of school, beginning of school. You name it. We celebrate everything. So I wasn't concerned about the celebration part. But being valuable. Ooh, that was a tough one for me. It's really hard to picture my value. Because we tend to undervalue ourselves. It's one of the only things we do undervalue other than artwork. Don't we all want to be of some value? Don't we all want to feel like we're worth something? To be worth something more than that tarnished, bent, old, one-cent coin that everyone keeps overlooking and undervaluing? To be worth the value of that shiny penny that people perceive more valuable and more sought out? You don't think that there's anything about you that's exciting. You don't think there's anything about you that's lovable. And in this world of hurt, in this world of, that's full of selfishness, you, you have people judging you and they're cruel. People are cruel. If you don't understand people are cruel, just talk to a 10-year-old kid and he'll tell you that school is cruel. And after you get beat up and banged up, you might start to look at yourself that way. Thinking that you are worthless. I swear too much. I drink too much. Or I don't have that nice car like Uncle Gary drives. Why am I driving a Pinto and he's driving a Corvette? You start to undervalue yourself. Maybe that guy at the coffee shop was right when he bumped into me. I am an idiot. Or maybe the boss is right every time he comes to my desk. You can't do anything right. Or maybe you're listening to the devil's whispers in your ear. Maybe I'm not good enough to go to heaven. We undervalue a lot of things, but I think the one thing we value, undervalue the most is ourselves. And I struggle with that. And I think it's something that we all kind of struggle with. Standing in the mirror every morning, brushing my teeth, I got this little timer, two minutes. Yes, I'm a child. (laughs) And if you don't think two minutes is long, try planking for two minutes. (laughs) You'll realize it's really long. And as I'm sitting, looking at myself in the mirror, I play this little game of how can I undervalue myself. I look in the mirror, brushing my teeth. I got these love handles that aren't so lovable. Or, oh, my mustache is crooked. Or, the obvious, the shininess on my head. Like, how can anybody love me when I look like this? Why would God take the time to see my value? Why would God take the time to go and search me out when I am lost and bring me home on his shoulders? Why would we celebrate a person that has sinned so much, has love handles, Drives a vehicle with no power steering. Long story. Someone that yells at my kid or my kids, yells at their kids. 
You see, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God prepared in advance as a way of life. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's masterpiece. I know it's true that what that verse says. I do believe it. Or I do know it's true. Because God says it. Anything that God says, I know it's true. But I can't believe it. I don't believe it myself. God created so many beautiful things in this world. You see colorful sunsets with 17 shades of different colors. You see amazing rolling hills. You see the smell of lilacs. See the smell of lilacs. You smell lilacs. And they're beautiful. My breathtaking wife, since she's not here, she'll hear it. Uh, But God, you were saying I'm your masterpiece when I look out there and there's so much beauty? I'm your most defining work? I almost think that he screwed up, really, though. Like, me being that masterpiece that he talks about all the time in the Bible? If I'm honest, sometimes looking in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth, I don't... I don't really feel like that masterpiece. More often than not, I know very well what God says of me, but I still miss that masterpiece part. When I look in the mirror, I see a mess. A hot mess, but a mess. (laughs) We do not feel like the masterpiece that he tells us about because we're looking at the wrong things that give us value. How do we change this thought pattern? How do we block out all the negativity of the world? How do we get our worth valued at what God values us at? How do we live this story? Can you do that for me? Thank you. It's quite simple, really. Just believe what God tells you, right? Simple. But is it that easy? It's not. Not for me anyway. It's not easy to see the content inside of this rough exterior, this scarred, tattooed, wrinkly, bald exterior. Just like that coin, God has taken something so priceless, so unique. Whether you think you're good enough or not, he will search you out. He will fight for you, and he will never give up on you. If there's anybody in this congregation today or watching online, that feels that they're insufficient, that feels like they're tarnished, feel like they're not worthy of God's love, I'm going to let you know right now, it does not matter what you think. God tells you that you're beautiful, you're worthy, and you're valued. I'm not going to... Your value is priceless because you've been lost and then you've been found. You're tarnished. You're dented. You'll always be held to the highest value through the eyes of our Creator. Isn't this not enough for you to believe? It is difficult at times to think that we are God's masterpiece. There are times when I'm drafting a paper or I'm preaching up here on stage, brushing my teeth, looking at my flaws, but that doesn't matter. None of that matters. God has a plan for you. He searched you out by choosing you, you alone, every one of you. He sent his son and he brought you here today. 
but still we say, can't be enough. We're not enough. How can I be enough when my wife screams at me all the time? She doesn't. She does not scream at me all the time. How can I be enough when I get angry at somebody cutting me off in traffic? Or I get angry at the guy that bumped at me? How can I be enough? So I want you guys to join with me on something. I need some honest people to say amen with me. Amen. Okay, good practice. So as I say something, at the end of the statement, I want you to yell out amen. And I want Edmonton to hear us, okay? Yeah, but we're going around the world. <laughs> Are there any grateful people that you know that got some issues, but God is still on their side? I am not where I should be, but I am not where I used to be, and I thank God that he's still working on me. Amen. When I look back at where God has brought me from, I can say, thank you, I am not there anymore. Amen. I'm on my way somewhere, and don't judge me, because God is still working on me. Amen. And I don't have to be a prophet, but I know he's working on every single one of you. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, I am a work in progress. <laughs> God will use you when you are messed up. He will use you when you are confused. He will use you when you have been fighting to get where God has called you. He will empower you in the midst of your struggle because if God waited till you got it, got it together, he would never get a chance to use you. But God will use you the right way, right where you are, and he will make you into what he wants you to be. If you believe what I just said, I need you to look at your neighbor again and give them a high five and say, God is using me to do great things. God is using me to do great things. Now, this one's gonna be an easy one. I want you to close your eyes for a sec and imagine yourself in a dark room. There's nothing there, just you standing. Now visual, visualize the best possible version of you. The one that God sees, not the one that you see. This is how God sees you, perfectly imperfect. Now. I need you to imagine you lift your arms up. And any part that does not believe it, let it go. Let go of the worries you have today. Let go of the anger that you are holding. Let go of the burden and the stresses. Everything in your life is tell that tells you that you are not good enough, let it go. Now imagine... You get on your knees and you hold your hands out and you start to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for taking all of our worries, God. Thank you for never giving up on us and searching when we are lost. Thank you for bringing us back to the Lord and celebrating my return. Thank you for loving me and never leaving my side. Thank you for forming us and shaping us and making us into the likeness of you. 
Lord, even though we define our life based on what others think, we may define our life based on what vehicle we drive, define our life based on what we look like. Lord, give me your lens so that I can see myself through your eyes. I pray that through our weakness that you give us strength. Never walk in the darkness, but always in the light. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us lives or leaves here today knowing that they are good enough, knowing their true value. I pray in your heavenly name. Amen.